Welcome to Sideboob Cinema, your podcast within a podcast. My name is Jonathan Astro. With me is Ricky Allpike and AJ. Oh! That's amazing. That was, that, was, that was really good. It's too good. It's too good. It's so good it's not funny. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I just had to listen and marvel, you know? So this is our this is our second last spooktacular for the year, is that right? It is. It is. Yes. Yeah. Because you know, because really, our portfolio is is mainly you know boobies, titties. Yeah. 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 That's right. And every now and then, the the spook, the spooks, and the boobs come together. But you know, ultimately, I mean, I'm just thinking of uh, AJ's partner Frank. Really, you know, he needs (laughs) some Joe Estherhouse films in his life, and he does. um, We're here to give it to him. So that's what's going to happen week after next. But today. Fright Night, 1985. Did we, just quickly, did uh, did what's people's relationship with this movie? I have wanted to see this movie for over 20 years. Jesus Christ! So it's so this is like a a, a, a big journey. <laughs> yeah, me and my brother and sister, we used to go to the video store a lot, and we'd always tiptoe through the horror section. And the the VHS cover for this film used to scare the absolute shit out of us it's got the house with the, the cloud and and the you know sort of the ghouls with the teeth and it is one of the most epic uh illustrated posters of the 80s absolutely so good they didn't even bother with this sequel doing anything different they went oh fuck it that's right <laughs> we, yeah that's we got right. it right the first time they changed they just changed the house they just go oh fuck it here we go yeah <laughs> it's uh yeah it's so good and i wasn't disappointed actually i really enjoyed this film and uh, I'm, I'm going to watch it a bunch more times. That's a, that's a glowing review. AJ? I'd never seen it before and I loved it. Great. Well, that's fantastic. What would you do if you accidentally discovered the house next door was occupied by something not human? Something horrifying. Something unspeakably evil. No one believes you. Mom, I didn't have a nightmare. Not your mom. They did kill a girl over there. Not your girlfriend. Charlie, is this some sort of a trick to get me back? Not even the police. Look, I know it's crazy. I know that, but look, Lieutenant! It knows that you know. You'll do anything to protect yourself. But it will do anything to protect its secret. This could be the night of your life. 17-year-old Charlie Brewster, played by William uh, Ragsdale, is a fan of horror uh, and he's a fan of a television program called Fright Night, hosted by former movie vampire hunter Peter Vincent. Uh, One evening, Charlie discovers that his next-door neighbour, Jerry Dandridge, played by Chris Sarandon, is a vampire responsible for the disappearances of several victims. After telling his mother, Charlie asked his girlfriend, Amy Peterson, played by Amanda Bercy, uh, and his friend Evil Ed, 
Evil Ed Thompson, played by Stephen Jeffries, uh, for help before contacting the authorities. Uh, Detective Lennox goes uh, with Charlie to Jerry's house to question him, but his roommate or male companion, depending on your reading of the situation, uh, Billy Cole, tells them that Jerry is away on business. Charlie reveals his suspicions about Jerry's vampirism and Lennox leaves furiously. Uh, that night, Charlie is shocked to see Jerry inside his house, having been invited in by Charlie's mother. Later, Jerry visits Charlie in his bedroom and offers him a choice ignore his vampire activities or else. Charlie refuses, brandishing a crucifix at Jerry. When Jerry tries to push him out the window to his death, Charlie stabs Jerry's hand with a pencil. Jerry destroys Charlie's car in retaliation and threatens Charlie over the telephone. Charlie turns to the vampire hunter, Peter Vincent, for help, but Peter dismisses Charlie as an obsessed fan. Amy, fearing for Charlie's sanity and safety, hires the destitute Peter to prove that Jerry is not a vampire by having him drink what they claim is holy water, but is only tap water. Peter discovers that Charlie is right about Jerry's true nature after glancing at his pocket mirror, noticing Jerry's lack of reflection, causing him to accidentally drop the mirror. Peter then flees, but Jerry learns of his discovery after finding a shard of mirrored glass on the floor. Jerry hunts down evil Ed and turns him into a vampire. Then Ed proceeds to visit Peter and tries to attack him, only to be warded off when burned by a crucifix to the forehead. Meanwhile, Jerry chases Charlie and Amy into a nightclub. While Charlie tries to call the police, Jerry hypnotizes and abducts Amy, who resembles Jerry's lost love and bites her. With nowhere left to turn, Charlie attempts to gain Peter's help once more. A frightened Peter initially refuses, but then reluctantly resumes his vampire killer role. Entering Jerry's house, the two are able to repel Jerry using a crucifix, though only Charlie's work since he has faith in its spiritual power. Billy appears and knocks Charlie over the banister while Peter flees to Charlie's house. There he is surprised by Ed, who attacks him in the form of a wolf, only to be pierced through the heart with a broken table leg by Peter. Removing the stake from Ed's body, Peter goes to rescue Charlie and battle Jerry. Charlie is locked in with Amy, who is slowly transforming into a vampire. Peter frees him before she awakens and says the process can be reversed if they destroy Jerry before dawn. Billy confronts Charlie and Peter and is revealed to be undead. They destroy Billy, who melts into goo. Peter is able to lure the overconfident Jerry in front of a window using a crucifix, which now works due to his renewed faith in its abilities. As the sun rises, Jerry transforms into a bat and attacks Peter and Charlie before fleeing to his coffin in the basement. The pair pursue Jerry. Peter breaks open Jerry's coffin and tries to stake him through the heart while Charlie fights off Amy, who has almost completed her transformation. By breaking the blacked-out windows in the basement, Peter and Charlie expose Jerry to the sunlight, destroying him and returning Amy to her human form. A few nights later, Peter returns to his Fright Night TV series and announce a hiatus from vampires, presenting a film about alien invaders instead. Charlie and Amy watch the program as they embrace in bed. Charlie gets up to turn off the TV and glimpses red eyes in Jerry's now vacant house, but dismisses them. But we all know a new neighbor has just moved in. Right night, also known as my girlfriend was frigid, then she got bit and became a hot, sexy vampire who wears no bra. <laughs> Did you notice that uh, her boobies get bigger? Did I? I had the measuring tape out. Okay. It was it, it was one of those wonderful like romancing the stone transitions where 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 she slowly becomes 
harder and you were like oh yes yes like the hair yeah got longer yeah. and mm. um well less severe you know and yeah. um and then the boobies <laughs> got bigger the bra got got less there was no bra okay. <laughs> what I'm saying. so anyway this movie simple direct and effective i think and um i think for me a surprising amount of feeling with every character mm. you know like I, I i think that's maybe what sets it apart is that everyone, including um, evil, uh, has a moment. Everyone has a moment uh, where they actually get you to feel something, which is which is unique. That's very unique, you know. But ultimately, this movie understands the allegory of the vampire on like a really deep level. You know what I mean? Like Twilight doesn't understand why vampires <laughs> happen, you know. Um, so like vampires are sex fiends, you know. Yeah. The, vic- the victim in a moment of Eros and Thanos, you know, it's like an orgasm. So the, the vampires are confident, usually sexy and, un- and uninhibited. That's the point. That's why the girlfriend becomes hot is because she becomes uninhibited and, and sexually free, you know, and that's also dangerous. But uh, the movie plays with all of this. And, um, you know, ultimately Charlie gets his wish, you know, Amy's up for it, you know, but she's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but she's, but she's too up for it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> she wants to you know, sort of fuck you to death. This is why I've never understood why people prefer zombies over vampires. Come on. Do you know anyone you respect who prefers zombies over, over vampires? No one. Well, actually, there are a couple of podcasters by the name of James Dellingpole and Toby Young who prefer, oh, who prefer zombies over vampires. That's ridiculous. <laughs> but I will forget... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's because they've got sex issues. No sex for us. We're British. Do you know what I mean? Well, well, not not to get too far out of Fright Night, but uh, in a recent podcast that I listened to, well, a few months ago now, from those guys, they were saying that that vampires are for chicks and zombies are for guys. Oh, for goodness' sakes! That's ridiculous. <laughs> that's ridiculous. They need to they need to check themselves into a clinic. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh. but but my, but really, Friday night, my heart believes again that this kind of light and fun eroticism has been erased. Like mm. I just, it just really burns my dink. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so I just, I just can't stand that. Like the way that it's like, because I even just, you know, I haven't seen the remake, but I just read the um because you just gave us the synopsis of of uh, uh, the um. The, the 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 old one and i read the, the synopsis of the new one and i was just like oh for goodness sakes like the, mm. this the stuff they change you know what i mean like yeah it's just you know because there, there's so much in this movie that is just beyond the pale really um despite uh, it's it's overall light and brightness like now like you can't have just you know an old lech coming onto a high schooler can you <laughs> <laughs> that scene was sexy as fuck. I know, I know. I think that might, I think that might be the best scene in the film. I, 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 it's the one I remember the most. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the scene in the nightclub where Jerry basically seduces Amy mm. and and turns her into a woman and kidnaps her. Yeah, or as I've labelled him, Dirty Dandridge. <laughs> <laughs> what I what I love about Fright Night is it it's it uh, revitalizes the vampire genre and contemporizes it. You know, at a time when vampire films were at that stage just being satirized. You know, I think there are a number of like, um, like Leslie Nielsen esque 
movies about vampires that uh, that were very campy and 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 you know silly and funny. But this one, uh, this one made it sexy and fresh and new. I think you know. And they've gone really bold with the with the the makeup effects because the the the, the uh, they've got several stages for the vampires I think but the but the the the, the sort of the vagina dentata mouths <laughs> <laughs> like big giant gaping mouths with yeah. teeth, like terrifying teeth and gr- big gross teeth and stuff yeah. like that I think is an innovation in this film like <laughs> not just the two well they do the light fangs they do the sexy little fangs mm. where you go oh yes that's hot and then. Then the big gross ones yeah. as well, you know. That's when that, shit gets serious. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. And I think it, it does. That's the innovation of this. Of this, it does revitalize vampires in a way that you go, oh wow, that is actually that looks a bit scary. Yeah, yeah. Well, director Tom Holland actually, before he started production on this, went to the special effects guys and and talked to them and said, what would you like to see? in a vampire movie you know what what do you think the vampires should look like and change into and got a lot of their input into uh how they could do something different you know that's cool that is cool yeah some of the greatest vfx guys like around as well richard edland i'm pretty sure is mm. involved yeah know. well he was he was uh he just finished sort of wrapping up on ghostbusters when he got involved with this um with this film yeah and you know, the other thing about this this movie is that the vampires, you know, they flaunt their unholy natures and, you know, they perform all the weird rites and rituals pretty much in front of open windows and, you know, in front of the public and disposing of bodies of their victims in plastic garbage bags. And, you know, they're kind of safe in the knowledge that nobody believes in vampires anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a clever acknowledgement of the waning interest in vampire movies at that time. But it's it's also kind of a tip of the cap to slasher movies in a way too, because there's that comment that Peter Vincent says to Charlie that you know kids are only interested in seeing virgins being hacked up. So that's kind of a, a reference there to Friday the Thirteenth and other sort of slasher movies. And you know it's no surprise that that Ebert uh, loved this film. Of course he fucking did. Maybe because <laughs> of that comment about slasher movies. No, but he, he likes he it. Hates- no, but the, he he likes this movie because this movie. Uh, you know, this movie ha- respects its elders. So it, it's got a reverence for, you know, Hammer Horror films, you know, uh, the, the horror movies of Vincent Price. And, and you know, if you go into Peter Vincent's house, they've got, you know, the makeup props from Mosferatu. And it, it's it's a loving, uh, a love letter to, to, to uh, the golden age of, of horror cinema. And so someone like, you know, Ebert likes people who respect it, you know, whereas there's something um, nasty, uh, dangerous and iconoclastic about the Friday the 13th films. You oh, know for sure. I mean? Yeah. Like, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not dissing. I'm not I'm... No, 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 you're not. I'm, just, I'm, I'm ta- having take, doing a takedown of Ebert because he is so predictable. Yeah. Do you know what I mm-hmm. mean? Like he's so predictable. Like, of course he, 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 like this movie is great and it does work on all those levels, but the reason he likes it is because it's, it's got all the, it's got all that stuff in it, you know, mm. whereas he, he's, he, he's not, uh, he's compromised. He can't look at the, those slasher films and see any good in them. And I think that is, 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 is unfortunate, but it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's got that great sort of fake beginning which I think is clever, you know, we're slowly tracking towards mm. uh, towards Charlie's bedroom window and the the what you're hearing on the on the soundtrack is that's good diegetic sound. That's that's see that's good. Mm. That's yeah, when it's yeah. done good yeah. later on when Dirty Dandridge 
puts on the score of the movie, <laughs> that's not good. Okay? He puts a little cassette tape and says, okay, this is Brad Fidel. So <laughs> but it, it, it fakes you out for a moment at the beginning thinking that you're, you're in the film, you know, you're, you're deep in the horror film from With terrible the dialogue. <laughs> Actually, their fake horror film is great. It's yeah. great. You know, hissing, yeah, <laughs> limp, limp yeah. hissing. So, so they they actually shot a you know portions of a fake, a fake film to Hammer, be played. Yeah, to be played on Charlie's TV, and and uh, the composer also wrote a score for that too, which which he had fun doing. My favorite bit is Peter Vincent lifting up the stake and it's backwards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so simple, you know. <laughs> it was so yeah. much fun. Charlie's room was amazing. Charlie was dream living. He didn't need to have this vampire come next door. I know. Like he had the ultimate setup. Th- those bedrooms. Uh, I think the synthwave community is sort of in love with those bedrooms. In yeah. Particular. But yeah. we all look at that bedroom and just go, "Oh wow!" Like I've always wanted to have a neon sign in my bedroom, and like you know, you've got all the media set up and everything. But actually. You know, now that you think about it now, you go, yeah, but it would be a bit nightmarish now because really when you get older and in the modern era, you're like, oh, well, actually we should be having, you you should be having the the least amount of stuff. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Not the most. Not the most. You know, and and in fact, when you go in your bedroom, you shouldn't bring any electronics with you. That's right. You know what I mean? Whereas Charlie's in that stage of life where you're like, more, 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 you know? Yeah. Falling asleep with forensic files on in the background. That's right. Yeah. Well, um, well, Johnny Depp does the same thing in Nightmare on Elm Street. Like he's he's laying on his bed. He's got like MTV on the on the TV. He's got like um, he's got rock and roll on the big fat headphones. Like, and he's just like he's dream living as well. Like, just it's amazing. The most, you know. So Charlie's yeah, his setup is is sweet. Did you have a TV in your bedroom growing up? I did. Did you? Yeah. The whole okay. I got it really late. Um, like. You know, so not when I not when I was in high school. No, no, no. Ne- we would we would never be allowed TV. My dad used to fix them up. Oh, really? So he just gave me an old one. So I probably had one in my room from about twelve. Wow! Yeah, right. Yeah, that was my dream. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just you know, get a, get away from my mom. Get away from especially my brother. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't have to you know play the games. Yeah. But I saw that Charlie had a phone in his room and I always wanted a phone in my room. Right. Mm. See, yeah, becoming geriatric millennial millennial <laughs> hour. Right. I know. But yeah. see these kids today, you know, That's right. just gonna get it. Like, but then again, it's a nightmare because you've got all that stuff and you know, yeah. your brain hurts all the time. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So that's a shame. <sighs> so yeah, but I think that that th- this movie, um, uh, as well as uh, revitalizing the vampire genre and paying homage. I think what really resonated with me is that it is a it it does attempt to to go a little bit further. You know, ultimately it is about a search for meaning and purpose. And uh, you know, Peter Vincent has lost his 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 passion for life, and the magic is gone. You know, replaced with uh, eviction notices and. Uh, this this adventure with Charlie sort of reignites not only his, his zest for life, um, he sort of rediscovers the mystery uh, of the world and what he liked to do, you know, back when he was in those in those films. And um, but it's also a movie about faith, you know. And I think that's a dirty word now, but it is a movie about faith. And it's not just like believing in the cross; it's about believing in 
in uh, a higher power and specifically in the American context, believing in God, capital G, mm. God. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Because um, if evil exists, then so too does good. You know what I mean? And through this process at the very end, when he holds the, the crucifix up and he says, you have to believe and it starts to work, it's because he, it's because he believes in God. And he believes in 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 all of that that stuff, you know what I mean? And uh, I think that is, um, yeah. I mean, you also see that the, the religious overtones in the way that um, Amy is, you know, sort of um, ho- seem ho- holding off, shall we mm. say, mm. in uh, in, in cock teas. Well, you say potato, I say potato. <laughs> well, Charlie does stop short of using the f word, calling her frigid. Mm. Well, doesn't he? Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I think he's just the straight shooter. Is <laughs> you know I mean? he's just calling it? He's the reason I'm. He's he's a ref. He's just saying I just call it like I see it. All right, <laughs> you get me hot for a year, and I got blue balls. And, and how old are they? They're in. They are totally. Let's let's be generous and say they are at the very end of high school. Yeah, so yeah. you can give him yeah. a titty, Jesus. <laughs> they they well, he's he's well. They're supposed to be seventeen in the film. Yeah, come on. Yeah, you think it, it is a bit rough, isn't it? <laughs> A year. Come on. Come on. Are we going out or are we not? <laughs> well, get this, get this. The actor who plays Amy, guess how old she is? Oh, no. Well, she looks older. Mm. 25? 27. I knew it. Boom. Because Marcy Darcy in Married with Children yeah. <laughs> is like, it's her transformation in this show, in this movie is so fascinating to me because she was like, for for whatever reason, even though she was the the the, the more upwardly mobile in Mary Beauty Children, um, she seemed like such a drag. Mm. You know what I mean? And so to see her in this, like, you know, she she does look, you know, almost 30. Mm. In a, <laughs> and not in a not in a, a ter- like, you know, aged way. It just she looks like a, just a, a woman. Yeah. You know what she I mean? She doesn't look like a girl. Which, well, which, they they needed they needed someone older because then the, the transformation wouldn't have worked as well. Ah, uh, yes. And it would have been just wildly inappropriate like if you just go like if you just get if they just cast barely legal <laughs> they, just go, they just go so anyway uh she's 18 and uh in this scene this is the scene where you get your titties uh, poking through the uh nightgown <laughs> whereas they can just come to her and they can say she's 27 she's been around the block they can just say oh you know you know how it goes you know you know the score and she she does know the score so <laughs> there it is. but i think i think it's good casting because you know, Amy does come off as the girl next door and she's, um, I think also she's got like a nice comedy edge to her performance as well, like mm. particularly early on in the in the film before she starts to transition, you know. Charlie? <laughs> he just won't. Actually, him ignoring her is, um, if you're listening and you don't have a partner <laughs> or anything, what his, Charlie's behaviour in the first part of the movie is how to get a woman, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> like that would almost 100% work. Get them on the hook and ignore them. Be lovely later. Oh. Be lovely later. At the beginning, be a bit of a prick. He, he's done it the wrong way around, hasn't he? He has. Like, because hmm. he, like, you know, if, you, if you're a punk bitch at the beginning, then Amy's not going to, you know, like, she's not going to be there for you. you she's going to put burger in your face. <laughs> yeah. Like she like does. Gross. Like yeah. Gross. Usually, usually it's like a, a, you know, like a, a drink or an mm. ice cream or something like that. But this is like, you know, it's a, it's sauce. A, yeah, yeah, dirty burger with, with <laughs> onions and, yeah, you know. A dirty oh. sloppy joe. Uh, that's a shame. Ugh. Evil. 
Let's talk about evil. Okay. Oh, Jesus. So, I fucking love evil. Yeah, but I got a message from uh, AJ that said, uh, evil makes my vagina dry up. <laughs> is this true? Yeah, it's true. So, how, is it, how gross is he? Is it because uh, he, is it, It's just because he's gross. Is, is I like he, the character. But his balding, is that a problem? Or? Oh, all of it. Oh. He's got a little rat face. Because balding when you are his age is that is fucking brutal. Yeah, yeah. it is. Do you know what it's I mean? That is rough. like that is a that's a real tragedy. Mm. Oh, you know what I mean? His voice. Ugh. But he was all okay. Who's a bigger loser? Shelly from Friday the Thirteenth Part Three or Evil? Oh, that's really Shelley. tough. So you think Shelly's a bigger loser? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Oh, they're pretty close. Well, come on, Shelly's into into shitty. Goofball, like practical yeah. jokes. Yeah, I hate that guy. I do hate and, that guy. You know, but evil at least is into horror movies, and he's he's at least interesting. He's into some interesting stuff. I loved it when he was wearing that red wig, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the Raggedy Ann sort yeah. of look. <laughs> I love that scene where Peter Vincent so pulls good. back the covers, <laughs> expecting to see uh, Charlie's mum, and it's. <laughs> and how's that when he delivers that line that that his uh, dinner's in the oven? Yeah. <laughs> oh, so over the top! Like it he, was so good. It's it's interesting because I've um. And we'll talk about the documentary maybe a little bit later. Like they have made a, a documentary, sort of the making of, of this film came out, I think, um, last year or the year before. And um, it's really interesting getting interviews with the guy who plays, uh, Stephen Jeffries, who, who plays Evil Ed. Like originally he thought he was being brought in to read for the lead and a previous film he was on, which was, you know, totally bombed out. He was the lead in that and... You know, he was kind of bummed out that he was like the sidekick and he saw himself as as leading man material, which I thought was really strange. And but he was always <laughs> um, you know, he was apprehensive of about doing the laugh, like, you mm. know, but then the director was like, No, 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 it's so good, it's so good and you know, he just he just seems to be not into his character at all. Like but even now? Even now, yeah, like like oh, he, wow. on, on the documentary, he says, "All right, this is the last time I'm ever going to do this," and then he does the line, you know, Brewster, you're um, you're so cool, cool Brewster, you know. Um, he, <laughs> I don't, I don't get it. Like he should have, he should embrace it. Like it's a glorious character. Like it's funny, it's over the There's top. A huge gulf know? between people's, you know, the practitioners and the fans. There, mm. there always has been, you know. Yeah. I mean, like. Even Shatner might now be all about it, but he famously in 1980 said, you know, you're a bunch of losers and it's just a TV show. <laughs> you know what I mean? And sometimes I think he's right. Yeah, yeah. So I think that like, you know, it's, it's difficult. Like it's yeah. a difficult thing, but, yeah. there, no, but there's no need to be a curmudgeon. I can't stand that. Like, like I watched, um, there's this great movie, which we should watch. Uh, so we've seen it called Fortress, right? With um, Rachel Ward. Fantastic, incredible Australian film. Um, and I saw this interview with her and all she did was complain about the film and the director and how bad the, and I just wanted to shut up. Why did yeah. you even do the fucking interview? Yeah. Mm, like you clearly, yeah. it's better not to say anything. Why would you put that out there? The negativity. I don't understand it. Like, well, he's, mm. he's not as bad as that. I think overall, he's just a little bit confused. You know, he's, he's, <laughs> okay. he's, he just seems a little confused that, that people love it so much and people love him so much and, you know, it just seems. Well, you can get it, bro. That's Seriously. right. Seriously, yeah. fuck's sake! Like, 
Jesus. You know? I Tom Cruise. Yeah. <laughs> no, but the same thing, like the, by the same token, like his, his uh, performance is over the top and he gets these funny lines and he's a weirdo creep, but he does get those nice moments, like when he embraces Jerry, like to, to, to become the vampire so that he, hmm. be, you know, he's sold on the idea that no one's going to bully him ever again and that he's, you know, he's going to be Great cool scene. and powerful. And then also his, when, when he dies, uh, is quite, uh, is quite heartfelt. Yeah, there's well, pathos you know. in, in his in his performance. Like it's a, yeah, that that's what I was talking about at the beginning. That's so unexpected. The scene mm. of him choosing to become a vampire because he's being bullied. Yeah, that he probably didn't. He probably you know there probably wasn't even a word for it back then. <laughs> probably just like <laughs> that was what? just life. Yeah, yeah it was just like you know we're just he's just my friend. And you said, what do you mean? You just but like Bruce, you bully him all the time. You call him something he doesn't be called. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. that's yeah. terrible. You're you're a terrible human being. Yeah. So, but yeah, he gets he's, he's all he's all really busted up, and then his death scene is 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 really sad as well. But at the end, I'm a bit like, well, come on, Ed, you made your choice, mate. Yeah. <laughs> so no, no, but I think he, 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 fascinating performance, and I'm I'm so I, I think it's interesting that um I mean he's so popular, obviously with the cult with the cult audience that they they named the doco after him. His line, yeah, yeah, which uh yeah, which the the director sort of came at that. Really, really late. He, the The original ending was was going to show Peter Vincent on his TV show, transform into a vampire. So, oh. that, that, so the idea was that he was bitten at some stage in the movie, but we didn't know about it. No, that sucks. Uh, so that's what it was originally, and and it was cut that way too. And then the producers, you know, high up in, on the rank in the ranks at uh, Columbia or wherever the fuck it's shot, like yeah, Columbia called him up and said you can't do this you know you, you can't do this like we're invested we're yeah. invested in these characters we love these characters you can't then have him and then he was like you know he thought of other things to do and then he had an idea for the eyes but he was like fuck that's not enough i need sort of like a punch at the end mm. uh and then he yeah he came up with that idea of um you're so cool brewster um which <laughs> has become the iconic iconic line from the film you know so good how good was billy cole <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Billy Cole. Why has he got a full name? <gasps> Billy he Cole. He was magical. I yeah. really enjoyed Billy Cole. <laughs> so he's he's like uh, he's like Jerry's um, Igor character, right? Yeah, like his sidekick. <laughs> when he rushes, it rushes out, and he says, and he goes, "Hey, kid." But he's like a full full on bully to Charlie. Like at, at every stage, he's like. You know, getting chest to chest with him, you know, standing over him, like he's great. And then when the detective comes yeah. in, he, he he makes it into a joke, like you know, it's it funny amazing. this kid thinks it's you know vampire vampires are here, you know. But but yeah. I don't understand. So he's because he's not a vampire because he's 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 like the Renfield character, right? Like in, in Dracula. So the idea is that they keep these familiars on the on the hook. And say, well, you know, I'll turn you, you know, eventually, but you know, you just got to look after me during the day and all that shit. But when he gets shot up, he comes back to life, and then he melts mm. like a zombie or something. Yeah, like, that I think was was um, a bold choice. <laughs> well, you know, it's been even the director doesn't really know what he is. Like yeah. he's been he's been written ambiguously like that. Like like obviously the vampire needs someone who can do shit for him during the day when it's when it's sunny out. Like get prostitutes. Yes. yes. That hot blonde. An actual Playboy playmate. Yep. Oh that's right. really? Yep. Fucking hell. So you so it wasn't you weren't you weren't hallucinating, you know what I mean? 
<laughs> you looked yeah. at her and you went, do you know that woman's so attractive? She could get naked and get paid for it. Yeah. Wow. And she did. In, in a magazine. Jesus. <laughs> I'm going to have to look into that. Oh, don't worry. We have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so billy cole i don't know i don't get it i don't know what he's all about but but, he was, uh, I loved but, I, but here's the thing like there's been much speculation about billy and jerry's relationship over the years you know oh, right. so you know jerry seduces young girls but maintains this very close relationship with billy cole and so the girls are the beards <laughs> and they're a couple of and like they're, they're a couple of summer house gays <laughs> with Jerry's uh, long fingernails. I know. But, but you know, the director <laughs> said that the, the pair were intentionally written with homoerotic undertones, although neither actor picked up on them until they watched the film, you know. And there's that scene where uh, Billy is cleaning Jerry's hand mm. but on his knees and then sort of the camera goes to the other direction and it looks like he's sucking his dick, you know. <laughs> Right. And they didn't Which, get that they, well, they, they when the they movies. saw it when they yeah. saw it they were like yeah because because originally on set like um the director asked billy to oh you know he was just standing up cleaning he's like oh you know why don't you kneel down and do it and he thought nothing of it and then when he saw the movie he's like oh oh tom you little devil that's amazing <laughs> it's good though yeah so i don't know maybe he swings both ways who knows you know well, he's he's met the moment because if you you know if you kind of don't swing both ways, then you're a bigot. So That's right, now, bastard. Yeah. So that'll that'll take down a few points, I think. Off, it'll take off a few points from the yeah, movie. Yeah, it's true. Later on. It might, but true. you know, you know, unfortunately, it's only gay. So that's that's the problem. Like you know, if it's gay and bisexual, that's. I mean, it's all you're almost straight. So yeah, that's a problem. You may as well be straight. You may as well be straight. Yeah. You kind of you you really. Just, you know, a couple of little a hops given a jump away from, you know, just doing it the old-fashioned way. <laughs> so Dirty Dandridge, I love that Chris Sarandon, well, AJ, firstly, what do you think of Chris Sarandon, Humperdinck? I love it. Yeah, that's who I think of him as. Do you think Humperdinck is sexy? Um, Kind of. Oh. In a borderline. Venga thought he was sexy as fuck. Okay. Yeah, I don't know what it is about because he he's very strong. He looks very strong. Strong hands. Mm, strong, long fingernailed hands. <laughs> he's, he, <laughs> he's got a bit of a retro handsomeness to him, mm. though. You know, oh, I mean, the, like, the, like, the a, like a Hollywood uh, classic Hollywood look. And he's yeah. such a prick. He's always a prick. Mm. He's always a prick, actually, and he's in Child's Play uh, as the detective. And I'm so used to seeing him as a prick that in that movie he's kind of not a prick, and and I'm oh. waiting for him to be a prick the whole time. Yeah, <laughs> it's really weird. I don't know. His his face, he just always looks disgusted. Yes. Again, if you, again, <laughs> since we're giving dating tips, so the way Charlie treats Amy at the beginning is top marks, but the way Dandridge <laughs> treats women the whole way through is also a very successful uh, cool. method. Yeah, he's, he's getting <laughs> pussy in the end. The first thing, but <laughs> he's dripping in it. <laughs> it's contingent on you being a bit rich, though. So if you're rich and you do <laughs> dirty dandridge <laughs> behavior, then you can get whatever you want. Mm. You, you know what he is. You know what he is, though. He's debonair. Like, like he's he dresses debonair. well. Yeah. Uh, he's he's very polite. Like when he when he meets his, Charlie's mom, and you know, he's a creep. 
He is a creep. <laughs> so, but what I love about this movie is that it, this the the they've tipped their hand. It's 1985, and they we're really in the swing of the 80s here. You know what I mean? Like it's this is there's no 70s in this movie, mm-hmm. um, and this is the the uh, the emergence of the, and the and the sort of communal hatred of the yuppie, the yuppie developer who sort of buys your next door house and renovates it. Do you know what I mean? It's like the people, the family in um, Beetlejuice. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bunch of yuppies, you know? So the idea is that, like, it's a nightmare. Oh, what if this What if this cashmere sweater, like leather <laughs> coat wearing yuppie moved in next door and turned it into a bit of a fuckhouse? <laughs> you know, in the jade sense. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so uh, that's, that's what I think is going on here. And... Um, you know he's wearing turtlenecks as well. Yeah. Well, this is all signalling. You know what I mean? Like this mm. is his. It's all very purposeful. The nightclub predation scene, which is my favourite, um, it's so reminiscent of Michael Douglas in Basic Instinct. Does the same thing. Rolls up to a club like they've got. It's it's something about forty something men or whatever wearing like cashmere sweaters <laughs> <laughs> and stalking around nightclubs. I don't, I don't know what it is. It's, it's uh, cause he looks out of place there for some reason. Mm. I, I don't know why. But just his confidence though. Like that's the other thing mm. about his performance. Like when he's walking towards Charlie to, to like sort of throw him into the, into his wardrobe or, or yeah, that whole scene in the, in the, in the nightclub, you know, he's just oozing confidence, you know? So he, uh, I read that um, Sarandon didn't want to do a horror film necessarily, you know, for various reasons. It's fairly obvious the stigma attached to horror films. But he read the script. He really liked the script. And I think that, you know, just like Evil gets his moment, so does uh, Dandridge. He gets his moment. Um, you know, his his uh, relationship with Amy is is quite, is very interesting. Do you know what I mean? And uh, and he he seems like, you know, someone, yeah, someone who's, sort of lovelorn or whatever, like, you know, who who's misses someone from the past. So that's obviously feeding his entire journey. He's not just like, oh, she's a bit of crumpet. He's like, oh, she's like, she looks like my, my lost love or something. I've got, you know, you only have ancient paintings of people who meant something to you. Yeah. And outfits <laughs> that you keep so yeah, that they can well, wear. Just, you've got to <laughs> yeah. get the outfits. Yeah. And I love that that hair, that fucking haircut that Amy has is, was, rocking you know rocking out in the painting as well like so even mm. back then that was mm. was was in <laughs> well fashion fashion goes around in cycles it does it? it does it does 100 year cycle so just so but, but like is, it, is the pot pudding bowl haircut worse than amy's sort of man short hair at the beginning of this or <laughs> i think so yeah yeah you think the pudding yeah, bowl i think the pudding bowl's worse yeah mm. <laughs> this is kind of naughty this is sort of naughty short yeah. I know. it yeah. is naughty short you know yeah uh, in the in the in the old parlance, you'd say tomboy look. Mm. You know, um, I don't know that we can't say that anymore. We've got to say, no. got to say, here's your puberty blockers. <laughs> <laughs> I affirm. I affirm. Yeah, yeah. The the other scene that's interesting is when uh, Jerry is he's, he's it's just before he throws Charlie into the wardrobe, but he says to him, you know, he just seems tired. He kind of shakes his head. He seems tired that he has to has to go down this violence path and and he says to him listen i'm going to give you give you a choice here you know just just turn the other way and we'll both go about our business you know uh, and that's when charlie gets out the crucifix and you know stabs him in the hand and whatever and 
you know, shits on from there. But you also get a sense that he, you know, he just wants to go about his, you know, bisexual, vampiring ways, be left alone, um, you know, to stop having people staring at him through the window, yeah. just like, you know. Yeah, it's enough. Leave me the fuck alone. Let me, let me, yeah, let me be with Billy Cole and, <laughs> and kill pros. Yeah, yeah, pros. <laughs> Actually, that, that, with the, with the, with the playmate, I mentioned this later, but they made a big deal on the TV. Again, something that you would never hear on the TV. One of these victims are known prostitutes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Imagine that. Imagine saying the words unknown prostitute <laughs> nowadays. Anyway, she was a known prostitute. And you say that means because the, the word known sort of implies like like a village of people, mm. like yes. whisper, yeah, whisper yeah, yeah. network of people. Yeah. Oh, you know, she's a hooker, you know? oh, yeah, how much? I mean, I don't, I'm just asking for a friend. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also that the news anchor probably knows her intimately as well. Yeah, yeah well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what do we think of the music, Brad Fidel? It's it's very good. Yeah. It's it's sexy. You know, the mm. music is sexy. He, he hasn't gone necessarily scary. Uh there's a few early on he's gone a little bit curious. Uh, a little bit supernatural <laughs> by curious, yeah. Supernatural <laughs> by curious. I like it. That is good. That is good. <laughs> yes. That should be uh, in your next album. Yeah, I'm ghost. I'm <laughs> ghost gender now. Yeah. <laughs> so good. So, uh, but this movie sort of has a theme, mm-hmm. but it doesn't necessarily have character themes. No, it sort of has a recurring, uh, it's synth-based, but also what what people sort of misidentify as an electric guitar is actually an electric violin. Oh, Um, really? Yeah, which is interesting. Um, And Fidel came to that idea, you know, trying to link it a little bit to uh, Jerry's character and and the fact that he's, you know, hundreds of years old and, and, you know, he's, he's probably, you know, he's probably witnessed a few, violin recitals in his day you know so dandridge loves the music because he pops it on as i say uh, in the seduction scene <laughs> he's got the soundtrack uh you know um ready to go yeah so he's columbia tristar soundtrack <laughs> puts it on the puts, puts it on the on the radio and it, we hear come to me the main thing that, that, that original that original uh uh, theme there was uh, also had lyrics to it. Come to me. Yeah. So then that scene had the lyrics in it, and um, Fidel loved it. Like, of course he did. He, just, he did it, and he did it. Yeah, of course. But he does admit admit that uh, it it took away from the scene, which it does, because you you actually see a little bit of it in in, in the documentary. They uh, they put a little bit of it with the lyrics over. It's that on the scene. soundtrack. It's on the sound, so you can't hear it on the soundtrack, but it right. doesn't work in the scene, you know. No. Um, it works way better. It's just instrumental. But, yeah. Look, it's just a bridge too far, you know, because it, 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 but this, but 80s was the era where they were experimenting with this. Because I suppose the burden of knowledge again is that we expect now, oh, like that's why that basketball or what a scene or whatever works when it's like, and the want to dick, I'm gonna go away. You know, yeah. like when you've got that, you better change lanes. Like, yeah. like when you, like, we laugh at that, but in the 80s, it was all up for grabs. Like, it could have gone either way. Like, like they, they, and there was a few attempts at this, like in the first Rambo and First Blood, you know, the, the Jerry's Goldsmith, they've got um, music over, over, 
that song, the, the theme, you know, which mm. they, they got at the end and they don't push on with that after that film. It just sort of, they just tried it, you know, and they're like, yeah, I don't know. It's too much. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Too much. I, yeah. It, it, the scene, it would have worked better if he, it didn't show him putting the stereo on. That it's just yes. that the music's just underscore. And it is very of the minute, though. Like, like mm. in terms, like that's see again. We we forget the burden of knowledge. That that technology that he's using is fucking cutting edge. Mm. A cassette tape. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Nineteen eighty five, like a cassette tape in a wicked stereo. Yeah. Like we look at it and we go, oh, geez, like yeah, he must he's he likes vintage stuff, you know. But it, it's all brand new. He's a yuppie. Yeah, you know, and and like it's not an eight track. It's not you know, it's a it's a cassette. Would have been magical. Um, so I guess it because again it links. Then they've really tried to link Dandridge with with. They're like, what would a modern Dracula be? You know, who would he be? You know, would he be Donald Trump? You know, in the eighties, would he be president? Would he be who would he be? And they go, oh well, he'd be a yuppie, and he'd move in mm. this how he would dress, and he would have this. He'd have the hi fi stereo, and he'd probably be really at home at like at like a singles like yuppie bar mm. or something. You know, like so they've really uh you know tried to link it here and and i guess yeah but but the but lyrics it's too much mm, you know we can't because yeah. you can't have you can't have it all you can't have them looking at each other play the music and then you know lyrics telling us how to feel as well yeah, yeah. well i'm glad they didn't 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 put that particular version of the song in that scene because it would have just been just just taken away from it it would have, would have been shit yeah but they have a number of other songs throughout the film that they interestingly I think the music editor or the music supervisor actually wrote and then got bands and session musicians to uh to record oh that's cool which is interesting and know them more in the club scene but but there's a few scenes where that where that happens yeah and they did get one band escapes my name at the moment that um was a bit well known from the eighties to do that. Uh, they did the the Fright Night song, Jay Gale's band. Yeah, that goes over the over the credits. Yeah, which I I like. You know, that's acceptable over the credits. Like it would have been shit if it was in the film. Mm. Like if the yeah, I don't know if Charlie's just driving in his car and he's listening to Fright Night. <laughs> That'd be fucking shit. Oh, so we've got another one. We've got another movie yeah. with right, right, like, like we do title yeah. song. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite track is actually a song called "You Can't Hide from the Beast Inside." Mm. I love that track. Yeah. It's great, really, really good. Well, they, you know, they tried to you tried to write songs that were sort of referencing the movie as well, which sometimes works and sometimes doesn't. Like I know in the Wraith, there's a number of scenes in the car chases where. You know the songs mm, are talking speed. about cha- speed and being <laughs> chased, and you know it's like back then maybe it, because it was a bit of a novelty, or you know, mm. as you say, they were experimenting with with the medium coke. a little bit, but, <laughs> a lot of it, <laughs> and a lot of coke, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it mightn't have been. It might have been a cool thing back then if you saw it uh, in the day, but now it's just a little bit. Yeah, it's just a little bit strange. How could Amy have so much faith in Charlie? Like, my high school boyfriend wouldn't be able to do that shit, beat the vampire. Like, she, she was... <laughs> she had a lot of faith in him. Yeah. Well, she was in <laughs> love with him. Like, And, you know, women do go out with a lot of dickheads as well. That's true. And think that they're really, that they're really great. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I know what you mean. She, she was confident that he, he, he could, you know, do all of this stuff. Yeah. And, um, 
Seems like a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I like that his mum didn't give a fuck either. Yes. Like, would you like a Valium? Baby boomer parenting right there. She was the original call mum. She was, though, but she was also having Bloody Marys with Dandridge. <laughs> yeah. She's she a Valium, such a wonderful, that was such a a wonderful uh, sort of portrait of the 80s divorcee, you know, yeah. the, the middle class 80s divorcee, like Bloody Marys. I got the feeling that, that um, you know, uh, Dandridge was sort of tuning her a bit. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. She, she was on the hunt, I tell you yeah. what. Yes. Yeah, she, she, she wanted cock. to be she wanted to be Mrs. Dandridge. Sorry, AJ, I missed that. <laughs> she would have sucked his cock. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case anyone uh, didn't hear. It. <laughs> yeah, she was down down for the pound. Yeah. Um, <laughs> definitely. But yeah, definitely. I thought she was an interesting character. Yeah, well, she's not worried actually. Yeah, that that, that they were going to nail at the beginning. They're up upstairs in their room alone, two sixteen <laughs> or seventeen year olds. Yeah. You know, they come down. They're talking about you know using the creepiest language in the world, making love, and and the, the, she calls them in, and you know doesn't even say leave the door open or nah. alone or whatever. Have you had a lover's spat? Yeah. Well, she's talking about marriage. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was crazy. Little does she know that her son's, you know, for a year has been <laughs> trying to get into those panties. That's mm. right. And he can't even get a titty. No, nothing. Nothing oh. to see. Well, um, I do have I, I have a few things to run through here. So so let's start with that, you know, for our male Me Too scale. I think, you know, initially, you know, the film almost opens with Charlie sexually assaulting uh, Amy in his bedroom, you know, and for the year before that, uh, you know, we hear he, the damning evidence. We've been going together for almost a year and all I hear is Charlie stop it, you know. So yeah. two crimes here. You know, one, he's he's a, a rapist. Two, two, she's a frigid air. <laughs> okay? So that's 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 bad. They're both crimes, is what I'm saying. They're both bad. <laughs> so uh, Playboy Playmates, uh, uh, Heidi Sorensen is uh, one of the victims, uh, as we discussed, a, a known prostitute. Uh, sex work is real work. You you can only have a playmate of the month if it's a man. Absolutely, it's what I said. You know, <laughs> we've established we've established that um, if it's going to be a playmate, it needs to be a man. I don't know, maybe a trans man, if at all. I mean, this was at, at from, least a man of color. Well, it doesn't just matter. Look, the point is that it needs to be Playboy needs to pivot properly towards uh, away from the chubby is what I'm saying, away <laughs> from the chubbies they've been giving. So this was from an era when Playboy engaged in patriarchal terrorism, you know what I mean, by putting this this, this Playboy playmate, you know. I mean, I mean that, that's what erections are, really. That's terrorism <laughs> in the pants, okay? <laughs> okay? They're weapons of mass destruction. It's a sexual jihad, okay? And uh, they want you <laughs> to look at the playmate's butt and say, oh, oh, she's, she's sexy, as we all did. Um <laughs> Disgusting. So I think we need to dox the filmmakers um, at the end of this um, uh, podcast. Uh, seems to be what they do now. So anyway, uh, Dandridge is a horny old devil. Um, he's, he has presumably had sexual intercourse with several attractive women, or at least has foreplay. You know, I mean, like, you know, I don't even know where to start. Like, you know, really, that is what it is. 
Charlie is also complicit in these sexual crimes. You know, he uses his binoculars to spy on the magnificent breasts of one of the victims. Um, He's a peeping Tom. He's a peeping Tom. And, um, you know, which is beyond the pale. So Dandridge looks at him, you know, as if to say, you know, hey, bro, you know, I got your back. You know, let's. Let's do it together. You know, you, <laughs> like you watch, you watch me do, you watch me do. Yeah. Okay. So when you think about it, Brad Fidel is also involved. His soaring violins are sonic erections. It's a boys club. That's what I'm saying. It's a boys club. Disgusting boys club. Uh, and, uh, you know, they're all on the, in the dock today. Uh, Dandridge is also a pedophile who pursues and seduces Marcy Darcy uh, <laughs> at several points in the film. And you know what? She's totally up for it as well. A mm. um, couple of times um, she's hot for him. You can tell. You can tell. So Amy becomes uh, hot and bosomy after she's uh, bitten and the message is clear, you know, loosen up your frigid bitch, okay? <laughs> That's what they're saying, okay? Be our sex toy. Get all sweaty. So your nips kind of peak through the dress, you know, that clings to you. You know, again, disgusting is what I'm saying. I'm saying this is disgusting. Unless it's sex work, then it's empowering and beautiful. Okay. <laughs> so these are the charges against Fright Night. What do we say out of 10 on the Me Too scale? It's pretty high. <laughs> yeah. Is it is it as high as Friday the thirteenth though? Which one? Fucking all of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, this it's so strange because so, I think this is really bad. This is really high because it's charming. The film's charming. It's a winning film and, every, and and real characters are involved. You know, it's not, this isn't, you can't really dismiss it. With Friday the 13th, you can say that everyone's two-dimensional, right? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Do do we take a couple of points off for the, the, the bisexual neighbours here? <laughs> Possibly. You could, you could, you, that's an acceptable thing. Okay, so what are we thinking, like eight? Yeah, I think an eight. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, it was already at 11, so they're taking the yeah. two off, <laughs> one for each of Dandridge and Billy Cole's penises, touching in the night. <laughs> uh, Lightsabers in the night. Yes, so it brings it down to sort of an eight, eight-ish, 8.5 maybe. It's bad. It's really bad. And once again, I had a great time. So, you know, that's the real crime here. The real crime. I had a great time. So did I. So did I. <laughs> what, did Frank have a good time? Frank didn't watch it. Oh. So we'll have to watch it again. You will. Because I loved it. Yeah. Has, have any of you guys seen the sequel? No. I feel like maybe, but I didn't pay attention. Okay. And and you haven't seen the remake? No. No. Well, uh, trivia corner, Tom Holland has actually confirmed that he's writing a direct sequel to the original film titled Fright Night Resurrection. Oh. It's going to bring back the characters from the original film and it's going to ignore the 1988 sequel. So could be good, yeah. could be shit, who knows. Um, I think he's left his run a little bit too late, yeah. you know. No like uh, he, he didn't jump on board for... Fright Night 2 because he was already uh, about to make Child's Play. So excellent. Oh, that's right. the reason for that. So a bit more trivia for you guys. Uh, it was the most successful horror, fi- horror film of 1985. Um, we haven't talked about how much it, it grossed. It, it grossed, grossed uh, $24.9 million at the box wow. office. So it was a smash hit. Um, at the time of production, Fright Night was Columbia's lowest budgeted film. He's complained, Tom Collins complained because he said it that year. 
everyone was obsessed with perfect. That was yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's oh. in my notes here that they had no expectations for Fright Night. They were focusing all of their attention on this John Travolta, Jamie Lee Curtis film, Perfect, which I, I didn't even know existed. Aerobics film. Uh, oh, right. I know that scene. You would have seen memes. Yeah. Okay, yeah. sure. Doing the gyrating. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, so they were certain it was going to be a blockbuster. And as Holland said, they never even came to set. He was left alone. He had total freedom for the film. So I guess that's that's, you know, pretty good. Mm. Um, so in 1989, the film was unofficially remade in India, uh, <laughs> as Kalpana house. It was set at Christmas time and this version mirrors the original film, but the Peter Vincent character's occupation was changed to a priest and there's a few additional characters and scenes were added. It includes several Bollywood musical numbers and the dialogue and credits are primarily in, uh, Malayam. I think that's how you pronounce that that dialect of, of Indian, but all of the actors casually drift in and out of English as well. Um, <laughs> sounds. I want to see that. <laughs> <laughs> um, contact lenses. So the characters in this film, their eyes change quite, quite magically actually. And, but in those days, the lenses were hard plastic, which uh, special effects guy, Steve Johnson hand painted. And he also threw some glitter in there into the mix. They're lacquered and sanded. And sanded. Um, the cast could only wear them for a maximum of 20 minutes because they were virtually blind in them. You couldn't see. Uh, and they were thick and painful and they dried out the eyes. Um, so there were three sets made for uh, the character who plays, uh, plays Amy, but um, one of them caused her agonizing pain, which she initially tried to endure, but... Uh, when it finally came too much, she took the contacts out, contacts out and the crew realised that they'd forgotten to buff them. Oh, uh, sandpaper. Jerry's burning skeleton at the towards the end of the film uh, was actually an unused prop from Ghostbusters. It was supposed to be used for the librarian. Great. Oh. So that's good. So just to wrap up trivia here, in 2015, when asked his thoughts on the remake, creator Tom Holland replied, kudos to them on every level for their professionalism, but they forgot the humour and the heart. They should have called it something other than Fright Night because it had no more than a passing resemblance to the original. What they did to Jerry Dandridge and Peter Vincent was criminal. Yeah, well, just on that, I was going to, so listen to this, listen to this. So it says the script... Uh, make some changes. So it says that uh, Charlie and his mother are transplanted from, from Iowa to Las Vegas suburb. Amy, played by Imogen Poots, is feistier and sexually aggressive. Evil Ed has endured a falling out with Charlie prior to the film. Peter Vincent is a horror magician modeled after Chris Angel. The Billy Cole character was over- omitted and Jerry Dandridge is no longer the lovelorn vampire. He was described by Evil Ed as the fucking shark from Jaws and has different intentions for his victims. That sounds like you, they don't see this. This is I should probably watch it and 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 you know roast it properly. But mm. it just sounds like this is the sort of stuff that really pisses me off. It's it's this kind of oh yeah we're just you know just just bringing it up to date, just bringing it up to date, you know. And you say wait 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 wait, don't you understand that? Like what are we saying about? The people who like you guys love this movie and a lot more than I do. I like this movie, but you guys, you, you you really liked it. And there's a shitload of people out there who like it so much so they made a fucking documentary about it. This is a really popular movie. People love this movie. What the fuck are you saying about those people? 
that you you sort of change that you know these essential uh, things like Dandridge's, you know, uh, hundreds of year sort of love lawn uh, thing, you know, and 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 it's and and his unfortunate association with a with a with a a, a budding uh, woman in young woman in this in this show and and a few of the other things like what are we? Well, I just find this so so you suck that out and then you make this sort of carbon copy or this facsimile where as tom holland rightly points out you sort of hit these notes but these things that you've taken out um people love those things yeah like we've just said the the best scene in the fucking show is the one at the club Mm. but that doesn't happen in the new one great you know what i mean so what are we left with and no billy cole (laughs) <laughs> i'm outraged <laughs> and no billy cole by curious yeah. it sounds like a downer and i i wasn't scared during this movie i just had heaps of fun and that's i feel fun. like that's hard to do and so and then they haven't done that at all it sounds like no yeah it is it is interesting that they they miss the core elements of the film and they they see them as maybe they see them as retro or because obviously they're the bits that they've chosen to update or to you know make more contemporary or more modern or more now but they're the things that really make the film work and and make it uh something that's lasting and something that that people really connect with mm-hmm. and they take those things away and then you're just left with you know, you, you, they probably have lots of cool effects and stuff like that in it, but that's not why the film, the film is good. You know, I mean, I mean, some of these effects, uh, whilst groundbreaking in 1985, they have dated, but you st- you don't really care about that. Like no. that makes it kind of fun because you know it, all the characters are so well written. You care about them all, like. You know, the effects probably could have been even a little bit more shittier and you'd still get away with it. Like Definitely. Here's, a, here's another example, okay? So Amy is feistier and sexually aggressive. So if <laughs> how does that how so what's her transformation then? Yeah, that doesn't work. Mm, yeah. Oh, also get this. So oh, don't I, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. She's feisty and sexually aggressive, and therefore, uh, you know, she's got nowhere to change, nowhere to turn. Well, that's wrong. No, get this. She becomes more feisty <laughs> and more sexually aggressive. Yeah. She opens an OnlyFans account. And you yeah, she yeah. So she starts up an OnlyFans account. And you go, okay, you are a fucking idiot. Firstly, like I understand why, you know, you're doing this sort of who run the world uh campaign you know it's noble right but this is a movie it's not a manual to live live your life as we said before uh this is a character uh despite what you think there are still a lot of socially forget like whatever socially conservative people not just not just in america in the world you know i'm not necessarily one of them i'm just saying that those people are out there like it's it's fairly normal for a for a for a chick in high school to be like you know maybe thinking about like not just like being sexually aggressive and jumping into bed with everyone. That's not that's not necessarily something that everyone's doing. And this movie, because it's been taken, it's done in the new Hollywood. It's been taken over by these coastal elites. You know, they've they've got this aggressive social uh, program where they're like, well, anyway. So this morning, kids, we're going to teach you how to register OnlyFans and uh, <laughs> teach you how to set up your account. And everyone's like, okay, just. Just stop being, stop being um, bizarre. Stop being bizarre. <laughs> and like, 
you know, stop damaging this character for no reason. Like, like the message that you're trying to give, which is that women are powerful and successful, and, that, and look, look at look, they can they can do whatever. That's fine, but it's going to ruin this character in this instance if you do that. If you make her not sort of a bit more, I know another dirty word, but in in storytelling, it used to mean something sort of pure-hearted, mm. you know. The idea, and that's fine. We we understand that. Everyone, you watch it, and you go, "Oh yeah, I get it." Yeah. the The other element that then gets missed as well, which which we haven't actually uh, actually touched upon yet, which is that uh, you you miss that um, that idea that an older man is stealing a younger man's woman. You know, which kind of happens as well in the original. Yeah. Well, mm. that's beyond the pale. They've cut. They've taken that out. So gone completely is that. You know, which is a standard thing in Dracula stories. I mean, it's even in Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula or whatever. You know, like that—that's we expect that as a plot device. But it also adds the the love element adds a um, you know, this sort of this tragic uh, dimension to it. And without that tragic dimension, it makes it rather childish and immature, and something that Chris Sarandon certainly wouldn't want to play. Do you know, he'd be like, "Well, why the fuck would I want to be just like this stupid vampire?" you know who's just killing people for no reason it's like you know it's tragic that you have to live forever it's tragic that you have to fall in love with someone and they have to die and then that you know she might be reborn or someone who might look like her i mean that it's something that we used to um just see in art and and go and see it for what it is and go ah yes that's that's an interesting that's an interesting idea or a feeling or emotion or whatever whereas the 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 um the sort of the, the 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 obsession with with morals and making sure everything's up to spec with you know government regulations and whatever the fuck else is just so boring mm. you know it's so fucking boring like you know there's and it's so naive as well like i don't know it's meant to be dangerous it's meant to be it's not like we ever see them fucking do you know well he does get his titties out he does does get him out <laughs> uh, i don't know where i was going anyway anyway i'm outraged <laughs> well maybe let's cap it off with uh, a little mention of reviews here i did talk about ebert he gave it three stars out of four Fuck you, ebert. and um, <laughs> your mate ebert um <laughs> Variety praised Sarandon's performance, citing that he uh, he is terrific as the vampire, quite affable and debonair until his fingernails start to grow and his <laughs> eyes get that glow. Again, no mention. It's so good. What a great time in history. That no mention of the predation whatsoever. <laughs> no, they're just like, oh, he's so good. What a debonair mm. man. You go, yeah, he's also a total pig. pig <laughs> He's a creep. Anyway, yes, yes, you reminded me of all the men in my life, really. (laughs) (sighs) Great stuff, everybody. Well, I had a, I had a great time. Me Uh, too. So, last week of the spooktacular, we are going to do demons. Is that correct? Demons, Lamberto Barber. Are you guys are going to love this movie? It's, uh, yeah, I can't wait. So, we're going to watch demons. Have a great time, and yeah, say goodbye to that uh, spectacular. Mm. Well, we'll have to do it again next year. Yeah, sounds good. Hopefully we're not cancelled by then. No. No. Moz Def, we're going to be cancelled by then. (laughs) We said what we said, AJ. I only said suck to dick. I'd say that in everyday conversation. Sweet. Yeah, I'm good. I I don't know. (laughs) To be honest with you, I think my Me Too section today was 
is pretty heavy. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I might be having second thoughts. I, I'm not. I, I'm not cutting anything out. Okay. Oh well, I guess we, we said what we Ricky's said. played us again. <laughs> uh, long live the new flesh. Long live the new flesh. Get prostitutes. Yes. Yes.